found out I was black when I went swimming. It wasn't my first time going swimming. I had been to the YMCA pool several times and am, in fact, a very good swimmer. My favorite movie was The Little Mermaid, and what mesmerized me most about Ariel was the way her hair moved in the water, how it majestically trailed behind her, and the way it sat on her shoulders when she did make her appearances to the surface. I wanted to experience this as well. I always wore a swimming cap when I went swimming and most times a shower cap to go with it for that extra layer of protection. My mother always told me to never forget it and if I did, my hair would get messed up. One night I went to the pool with my friends and I decided that I was going to go for it. I kept my swimming cap in the locker with the rest of my things and followed the other girls to the pool area where we stood in line along the edge of the pool. Once we were given permission, we hopped in. I glided through the water and I felt my hair on the nape of my neck. Success! I had lived my dream and when I emerged from the water, I noticed the funny looks on my friends' faces. I also noticed my hair didn't hang as loosely as theirs did, but we continued on playing freely. When I walked back into the locker room, I could feel that something was wrong. I didn't feel my hair, not on the back of my neck or on the sides of my head. It felt puffy in my hands, just not straight or smooth as it had been before I entered the water. The biggest blow was when I passed the mirrors leading back into the locker room. I burst into tears at the side of my head, a hideous bush that was my hair and it didn't make, make it better getting a lecture on the ride home. Your hair doesn't do that, my mother had told me, never explicitly telling me, but that was the first ma major indication that I was different from my white complexioned counterparts. I used to look back and wonder, how could I not know? How could my parents not tell me? Or why wasn't there ever a conversation? I had to learn on my own, or other people just told me. Though it feels that way, I never felt my blackness. I didn't know how because there was no one to teach me other than my peers, and yet growing up, I felt like even that wasn't it. It wasn't until I was 17 and the Black Lives Matter movement started that I had but one inkling of what it meant to be black. Even then, there was going to be so much I would learn. So the book I'm going to be talking about today is Everyday Use by Alice Walker. It's about a mother and her daughter Maggie living the regular regular best lives before Maggie's older sister Dee decides to slip back into the picture. Some backstory on Dee is that pretty much she's a bitch, not a very nice person, desired everything and demanded whatever she could take. No one's favorite, but did everything in her power to make it feel so. So where our story starts is that Dee comes home after going to college, finding herself, doing what she can to live her best life because she's certain she's going to be something better than what she left behind. Then as if to say, surprise bitch, she decides to pop back into their family's lives now wearing an afro, a dashiki dress, and with a husband, boyfriend, we don't know, and she never tells. But it's clear that if she had found herself before, it looks like she's found something now. What she found was a sense of heritage, or so it seemed, as she goes on to proclaim that she will no longer go by her oppressed name D, and will now be known as Wingaro. She plays her character well, but Dee is very much still there, and it makes it very clear that Wangara is only a costume and not who she's really become. She indulges on the food that she grew up on and is now obsessed with the benches her father had made at the table. She wants to take them, as well as the top to the handmade butter churner and the dasher that goes with it. 
Dee goes on and on about how she wants to make them the perfect decorative pieces for her home. Then remembering what she really came for, rushes into her mother's room and through her chest to produce the old quilts her mother had sewn. Now, Mama had kept these quilts for Maggie, so when she married, she could use them in a house of her own. Now being held with the decision to keep fueling these dominance over them or to finally stand up for her family against someone who never seemed to really love them at all, just love what she could take from them. Mama realizes this and refuses Dee, which upsets her and prompts her to leave them again. And when she leaves, Mama and Maggie weren't left feeling guilty about not being what Dee wanted them to be because they knew that there would be something that would never be able that she would never be able to understand and that she would never be able to hold that burden so let's start with our opening scene into the story it's all from the perspective perspective of mama who is a narrator of this story mama first describes a tv show that the intended audience can relate to about parents and their child who's made it and knows what that without their parents they wouldn't be where they are today Sometimes I dream a dream in which Dee and I are suddenly brought together on a TV program of this sort. Out of a dark and soft-seated limousine, I am ushered into a bright room filled with many people. There I meet a smiling, gray, sporty man like Johnny Carson who shakes my hand and tells me what a fine girl I have. And then we are on the stage and Dee just embracing me with tears in her eyes. She pins my dress with a large orchid, even though she has told me once that she thinks that orchids are tacky flowers. Mama dreams of this love and acceptance from her daughter, which apparently she's never gotten from her, only resistance and resentment. She knows that what Dee always wanted her to be was a woman she could never, she never could and never will be. In real life, I am large, big boned, with rough man-working hands. In the winter, I wear flannel nightgowns to bed and overalls during the day. I can kill and clean a hog as mercilessly as a man. My fat keeps me hot in zero-degree weather. I can work outside all day, breaking ice to get water for washing. I can eat pork liver cooked over the open fire minutes after it comes steaming from the hog. One winter, I knocked a bull calf straight in the brain between the eyes with a sledgehammer and had the meat hung up to chill before nightfall. But of course, all this does not show on television. I am the way my daughter would want me to be a hundred pounds lighter. My skin like an uncooked barley pancake. My hair glistens in the hot, bright lights. Johnny Carson has has much to do to keep up with my quick and witty tongue. So Dee grew up feeling that there, that there should never be limits to her life and what she could be. She grew up in a world where because of her skin color, she was told that she could only go but so far in life. She saw that other people had nice things, a seemingly better life, so why couldn't she obtain the same things? She knew she had the drive and the determination to be like the others, but somehow the world made it seem that it wasn't meant for someone like her. Even her sister Maggie sees that power that is sometimes too strong for even Dee. She thinks her sister has held life always in the palm of one hand and that no is a word that the world never learned to say to her. So yeah, Dee grew up, didn't fuck with the environment, and left. But why? Why is this lifestyle so uncomfortable for her? And why did she hate it so much? If her mother and sister found resolve in it, why couldn't she? Easy. She wanted more and she resented them for not wanting that. Not wanting to just have the freedom to have their own house make enough money to live comfortably, but to make their lives better, make their family name mean something when everyone else around them felt like it didn't. 
She just wanted them to want, and they didn't. Well, like I said a little earlier, she resented them. And in time, and in the time period that she grew up in, the periods of the civil rights movement and the black power movement, a time where most young African Americans were tired of living in submission to their white counterparts and decided to push for equal treatment. Now this began as a peaceful movement where those who participated were violently beaten, arrested, or even killed. So with all this violence and a peaceful movement, the members began to go into a more radical approach by fighting back. Now I mentioned this to say that people who joined the, the BPM had a similar mindset about people like Dee's family who took a more passive, non-confrontational view to life. That their passiveness is the reason why African Americans were still seen as inferior in America. That they allowed themselves to be oppressed and therefore start their own progression. And that gave the oppressors the means to solidify the systematic oppression of people of color, even after slavery ended. I'm sure that many young people can relate to this view of older generations. I know that I do. I actually relate to Dee a lot and had similar feelings that Dee had about my own parents. Growing up, I was Dee. I wanted to be like all the other kids, white or black. I wanted to go out every weekend, wear cool clothes like they did, be in the social circles that they were in. But I wasn't. They didn't like the kids, the things the kids were doing these days and didn't like the clothes that they were wearing, and so they restricted me from it. Every Sunday during Bible study, they made sure to incorporate the importance of following the laws of the land, which were supposed to keep us safe from the heathens of the world until we well died ensuring our safe passage into the heavenly gates after death but like d i knew there was much more to me than just being a good child of god and i wanted more i felt i deserved more and i knew deep inside that i could be more so i resented them all my life for that and i felt that my childhood could have been more had they let me be free to choose who i wanted to be before letting me into this big world and i didn't understand why I was already a black kid who, because of my educated background growing up, kept me separated and unwanted by the other brown-skinned kids. Couldn't they at least help me fit in with the kids who would accept me, even if I was their token? So coming to college felt like an escape for me. I changed my name, my appearance, and I'm not nearly the person that they, that they thought that they would raise. I finally could decide who I wanted to be and what I wanted to believe in. So now Dee has returned after some years of living leaving the nest and now she seems to have found herself she's sporting a fashionable dress and letting her hair flourish into an afro and she had a male friend with her and we're not quite sure his relation to her just that by the way he greeted maggie and mama with the classic asalam lacoon we knew he was an accessory of her aesthetic in one way or another her appearance makes her seem different from where she originated from compared to her sister maggie's simple pink skirt and red blouse perhaps you wouldn't know they were related and perhaps that might have also been the point who knows for sure but what i'm trying to get at is this d may have have come looking like a different person hoping to come off as a different person and calls herself a different person but still underneath it all she's the same old d it shows with the construction of her name and why she chose to do that well i say d no, mom, she says, not D. Wangara Liwanika Kimanjo. What happened to D? I wanted to know. She's dead, Wangara said. I couldn't bear it any longer, being named after the people who oppressed me. You know, as well as me, you was named after your auntie, DC, I said. DC is my sister. She named D. We called her Big D after D was born. But who was she named after? 
asked Wingaro. I guess after Grandma Dee. And who was she named after? asked Wingaro. Her mother, I said, and saw Wingaro getting tired. That's about as far back as I can trace it, I said, though in fact I probably could have carried it beyond the Civil War through the branches. Well, said Asalamakum, there you are. In this moment, Dee talks about her name change being motivated by the history in that name and how based on how Mama can only carry it back to slavery times where African slaves were often renamed because they were either too difficult to pronounce or simply because people were like, no, Mama doesn't quite get it, but the kids do. And because it means the oppressor named them, created them and the, and disabled them from being able to be much more than what they made them. Slave names as if they were the same as an inmate number, a stolen identity, and one of the ways that most like D felt one of the ways to escape that neo-slave narrative is to rename themselves back into that image as a born-again pure African. The fact that Mama doesn't realize what oppressor she's referring to makes D's point that Mama is unaware of her supposed disability that slavery imposed on the Black community, and perhaps that's why she couldn't progress where D felt she could, she could in life. Slavery created a matrix that trapped the minds of most older people who grew up in the 100-year period after slavery was abolished. Those who lived in the neo-slave era. There's an article on a book called Kindred by Octavia Butler, and I feel like it speaks exactly to how Dee is feeling towards her mother and the lifestyle she raised her in. Kindred was published in 1979 while the movement was starting to die out. It's a fictional story based on the author's earlier life and her college days when the Black Power movement was just on the rise. The main focus seemed to be about her own 60s feelings and trying to figure out her conflicted views on the movement. What she heard from others was often a sense of shame from the family they come from. In an interview, Butler recalls certain remarks she remembers hearing from someone else around her age during that time. I heard some remarks from a young man who was the same age I was, but who had apparently never made the connection with what his parents did to keep him alive. He was still blaming them for their humility and their acceptance of disgusting behavior on the parts of employers and other people. He said, I'd like to kill all these old people who have been holding us back for so long, but I can't because I'd have to start with my own parents. When I read this from the article, it immediately makes me think of Dee, and now I understand her anger and her frustration. It's the germ of the movement, and that, that point where things get misdirected and then starts to go too far. I don't know if anyone else has been here, but I've been there. The germ had me too at one point, and I'm still recovering from it. So here's another therapy session that you probably didn't ask for. I realized that my parents and I had very different views once I reached my adolescent years, especially when the Black Lives Matter movement began. I grew up in a household that taught me, without explicitly saying it, was that being black in America could be a challenge and sometimes dangerous, but it was my understanding that it was just the way of the world and I had to just learn to manage to spite my hand in life. As more reports on the news of unarmed black men getting shot by police came out, it started to really worry me. But my father told me that this only happens because they didn't follow the rules and that if we, meaning black people, were to survive the police, then we simply had to obey them. Then Philandro Castile happened and I never saw anything the same again. It used to blow my mind how my parents really didn't seem to get it or would refuse to. I mean, with them also being black and growing up in America, where it was a bit more difficult to move about the world being black, it made me resent them so much more. Because I felt like this was a part of the reason why my life was the way it was. Why I hated myself so much growing up because my hair was coarse and kinky and my skin wasn't a lighter complexion and my body too voluminous instead of thin. 
I hated them for not teaching me how to love myself and have pride in my race. And that felt disabling to me. I can imagine that's how Dee felt toward her mother. Because of that feeling, that's why she came back, to take the things like the dasher, the churn top, the benches, and the quilts. Dee felt like she was the progression, the only one who could change the narrative of her family name and preserve the greatness of her family, which she felt like Maggie and her mother had forgotten, and their proud African history would be lost in their hands. What she fails to realize is where that passivity in previous generations came from, and that passivity ensured survival, not just for an individual survivor, but for families who wanted to preserve their race long enough to see the days of more acceptance and change. She wanted to take back those things because she felt like she would be the only one who could preserve them. Right, but she came back for the wrong things. If she is the progression, she has to acknowledge the struggle struggle it took to get to that progression. It was a movement in itself. And if there isn't a name for it already, I'd call it the survivalist movement. A movement where black people were able were able to at least find their footing in a country that never supported them being independent. Mama survived. She was able to survive long enough to bear children, build a home, lose it, and then build up another one again. And now being older, maybe her work for her generation is over so she's hoping she can rest while the new generation her children can do their part and change the world a yard like this is more comfortable than most people know it is not just a yard it is like an extended living room when the hard clay swept clean as the floor and the fine sand around the edges lined with tiny irregular grooves anyone can come sit and look up into the elm tree and wait for the breezes that never come inside the house Mama's home represents her struggle, and to come to that far and to come that far in her generation is admirable. Mama didn't need to necessarily escape the ghetto to become something more. It was more about just being able to get farther than previous generations were able to. Dee cannot accept the progress that it takes to make these worldly changes, and so that's why for now Wingara was just a phony. She can't really see the world like her mom does as a whole, past, present, and possible future. Until she does, her hair, clothes, and household decorations are all just appropriations of a culture she still has yet to understand.